When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. And we've got a uh, another listener suggestion today that uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited about talking about this one. This is something that I really had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this has evaded me for so long. I've seen these cars in photos and just not really understood what they were. Maybe. Or followed up on it. Yeah, this, this I think, surprised both of us, Scott. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have a copy of the letter? I do. Um, this comes from uh, one of our listeners who writes in often, uh, Rudy. Rudy Smith. Oh, yeah. Hey, and, Rudy. Uh, Rudy wrote in an email to us and just kind of, actually, it's a follow-up on an email that we read in uh, one of our Nuts and Bolts episodes, the recent one, part nine. Um, just to mention um, about these coal dust-powered cars that, that he had said something about early on. Um, it's kind of a, like a World War II era vehicle that, that this all, that's where this all starts, I should say. Yes. Just kind of set this up. Um, but Rudy says that he had no idea that, that coal, sawdust, and wood were such influential fuels in the past. And, uh, to some extent, they're still being used today, but not not anything like what they were back in this World War II era. Um, a vehicle that we'll talk about. Um, there's a lot of there were some ads that were from the late 30s, early 40s that show uh, some of these cars in uh, in particular, saying that this is you know kind of the way of the future. This is what we're going to be using now for power. Yes. Um, I think the one that he mentioned uh, was kind of a, a tourism or publicity shot that he had seen. You know, an, an ad, a very uh, flashy ad of you know a well dressed couple overlooking the town of Rio and mm-hmm. you know, or the city of Rio. Um, just really kind of an interesting, interesting mix of technologies coming together on these cars. So, so yeah. Rudy's interested in them, wants to know about them. Also, he mentions a, um, a coal-powered motorcycle. Right. Um, we'll talk about, I promise. Uh, <laughs> not, not a whole lot, but just that it, it kind of follows along the lines of these, these coal-dust-powered cars and coal-gas-powered cars. Yeah, and um, we'll even talk about maybe some wood-burning cars. Yeah, wood-burning cars. Yeah, it's just, man, there's, there's so many of these early, I'll call them alternative fuel vehicles. Yeah, that's a good Maybe it's probably the best way to say it, but Let's jump right in with uh, with the coal-powered cars. How about that? Um, yes. Uh, can we do coal gas, maybe? I have a yeah, quick sidebar. Sure, yeah. What have this you got? is pretty cool. So we found a story that was published in The Mercury, a newspaper of note, in January of 1918. Okay. So way back. Way back. This is a deep cut, my friend. Uh, this thing is called The Modern Use of Coal Gas. A most successful demonstration of the use of coal gas for motor purposes was given recently in London through the enterprise of the commercial motor and the motor. And so it talks about how this journal has um, this kind of a piece about how coal gas may be the future of transportation, written in 1918. A little bit of background here, um, maybe an old school voice. 
The conversion of motor vehicles to enable them to run on either petrol or coal gas has been necessitated by the shortage of the former fuel. Early in the year 1916, it was seen that with growing shortage of petrol and the difficulties attending its importation, an alternative home-produced fuel would have been found, would have to be found. Is that your newsman re- uh, read there? Yeah, I don't know. I felt like that, I thought doing felt, me doing a British accent might be offensive. It felt a bit like a uh, like a like a, the movies, you know, when they would play the news clips from uh, from around the world. Yeah, something oh, like that. Man. Yeah, a little bit like well, that. So, but. You know what? I understand what you're saying, where you're getting at here, that yeah. this may be the future is what they're saying at the time. Right. And, and they really started to move towards, uh, using these alternative fuels like, like coal and wood and any kind of biomass material, really. Yeah, because um, of the shortage of traditional petrol, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, there were, there were tremendous shortages going on, which we'll find out later, uh, became extreme in some cases. And then there was rationing that was happening as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess before we go too much farther, I need to say this. Um, I originally thought when I heard of these coal power cars, I, I thought initially, just right off the top of my head, I was thinking steam powered. Oh, okay. So like the coal is burned, producing energy to boil water, creating steam. Exactly. Just as it would in a locomotive. And, yeah. and that's the way that I normally think of, of converting coal power into energy for an automobile or, or for, not for an automobile, but maybe for just any kind of, um, um, device to move somebody, you know, like a, a transportation method, I sure, guess. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'm so accustomed to seeing the, the steam trains um, of, of that era. Yeah, with I the would, boiler tanks and I would, stuff. I would think that they would try to miniaturize that for the automobile, right? Yeah. Well, that's not what they did. They, uh, In fact, you know, what happened was they were leaving the internal combustion engines in place, and they're using coal or coal dust in some cases, mm-hmm. uh, coal gas, I should say, to power the vehicle through a different way. I mean, and how do they get to coal gas? That's kind of the, I guess, the uh, the angle yeah, we need to take on this That's the big tilt. Here. Yeah, that is. And what coal gas is, for anybody that doesn't know, is it's a mixture of gases, hydrogen, methane, and carbon monoxide. And those are created by the destructive distillation of coal. So you have to have this distillation process that happens. Um, and, and it creates this, uh, this, this mixture of gas that can be used for, a lot of times it's used for heating and, and lighting, mm-hmm. or it was. I don't know if it is so much anymore. Um, but it's really, it's the gas that's given off when coal is burned. And, uh, I, I mean, you can look up information on coal gasification and find out, um, you know, that can be used to, it can, that, that same gas, uh, which is sometimes called town gas, by the way, uh, can be converted into transportation fuels like gasoline mm-hmm. or even diesel um, through additional treatments. And these treatments right. include this uh, this process, which is called uh, the Fischer-Tropsch. And I'm going to mess that up, but it's T-R-O-P-S-C-H, Tropsch. Okay. Uh, Fischer-Tropsch process. And that's where there's this collection of chemical reactions that converts the mixture um, of carbon monoxide and hydrogen into liquid hydrocarbons. Okay, so they're you're really taking... Um, you know, this gas and, and, um, it's how it goes from gas to liquid, mm-hmm. uh, to create this either synthetic lubrication oil or a, a synthetic fuel, like what, which will come from coal or natural gas or biomass, like, uh, like, you know, trees or like, right. uh, you know, wood, of course. Yeah. Um, and later I want to talk about a wood gas generator, but we're still on coal right now, so let's hang with that. We'll hang with coal. And, uh, and just understand that we're talking about cars that still have their internal combustion engine in place, mm-hmm. they're using some method in order to get coal gas into the engine to burn that, Yeah, or they're creating their own, they've got their own distillation process. It's creating some liquid fuel. On board, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is really kind of remarkable, especially when you think about this is happening almost 100 years ago. Yeah, and here's what blows my mind about it. It seems so overly complicated from the modern from the modern perspective mm-hmm. right yeah we already have gasoline technology we have the ways to create gasoline we have the engines down to a t right mm-hmm. um we've spent so much so that we've spent the next almost of, of a century or so um just improving upon internal combustion without necessarily fundamentally changing it. Yeah, we're mostly tuning at this point. Right, but here's the problem. Here's what happens. In World War II, the entirety of Europe has this huge fuel shortage, right? Mm -hmm. And um, from that article we quoted earlier, uh, one of the things that's interesting is the way that they end this is they say that – Liquid fuel is superior to this other stuff in every way except for cost. Hmm, okay. And this comes up again because oil imports during World War II are blocked. And, and 
Europe, uh, you know, even even today, Europe has uh, it, it remains an oil importer, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, so the oil that was available was all for tank fuels, aviation, and stuff. Yeah. So these are these are primarily vehicles that came about during times of shortage mm-hmm. or crisis, and uh, even even some you know a modern version that we're going to talk about, or sort of modern version that we're going to talk yeah. about. Um, comes from a time of crisis and and I just want to point out that you know a lot of these were due to rationing as well I yes. mean it's a it's a way to get around something it's a it was a form of necessity I mean it's a way for people to continue to exist they've got automobiles they've got tractors they've got mm-hmm. uh, farm implements that they need to be able to use um, I it's just a way to to mobilize uh, you know your machinery that you had on hand. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't be able to get into town to be able to buy food or you maybe, maybe, you know, if you're on a farm or whatever, I mean, you're kind of self-sufficient, but maybe you do have to get into town to get certain things, certain goods or manufactured goods. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, there were, there were times of crisis and especially in like, you know, Nazi Germany and occupied France at the time. Oh yeah. Cause, Um, uh, they had a lot of coal, but no oil. Yeah, and we're talking about like you know times just prior to World War II and during World War II, of mm-hmm. course. But afterwards, you know that's a, that's a whole different uh, can of worms. But um, it it does happen in times of crisis and times of need, and and people adapt, Ben. They're very good at adapting. So what they had to do is they tried to find a way. You know, they got all this coal, like you mentioned. Yeah. They got a lot of wood, of course. You know, trees, yeah. trees everywhere, right? Um, how are you going to convert that? Into a way. How are you going to burn that in your engine in order to make it work? So you right, because be you can't build brand new engines. That's the the cost is extravagant. E- exactly. So and and an alternative way. I mean, like I mentioned, you know, the steam thing. That may have may have been somebody's initial idea. Like maybe we can use steam power in order to get things you know going here. And that, of course, there were steam cars, of course. Mm-hmm. But to convert a car that's already got an internal combustion engine. Over to a steam-powered engine. I mean, and you're talking about people that are trying to do something with uh, with nothing. They really have very little on hand. Um, you know, this is just a way around. It's a workaround, really. Mm-hmm. I guess that's probably the best way to say it. Is it's a workaround, right? And it is uh, like many workarounds. It is ingenious. I mean, with with all the uh, politics of the time aside, one thing that everyone can agree on is this is some MacGyver-level mm-hmm. business right here. Um, I'm glad that you brought up the part about biomass and about wood because Nazi Germany actually did uh, convert a lot of their vehicles to wood-burning vehicles. So they used the gasification of coal as part of it, but then they also created cars that could run on burning wood. And and this was a big business at the time, Scott, of Ford, General Motors, other manufacturers made conversion kits, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, this could use, uh, the, the people who own these cars could also make their own homemade kits. But I want to talk about some of the military stuff that the uh that the Nazis did at the time. Uh, some German-made wood-burning cars were stuff like the Beetle, which was post, post-war, mm-hmm. um, excuse me, the KDF Wagen at that time, uh, the Kubelwagen, and uh, they also had a, the SS had a series of generators that were wood-burning. Hmm. So you burn wood to generate electricity, and uh, they, these were called Holzbrenners, wood-burners, and guess who made them? Who made them? Porsche. Very interesting. So it's strange when we think, you know, it's strange to think these things were so widespread and yeah. so popular, but now we don't see them near as much. Ah, Dr. Porsche, he was uh, he was always kind of on the edge of stuff like that. I mean, I think, uh, isn't he credited with the first hybrid car, as a matter of fact? I believe so. I think he is. So, um, yeah, he's always kind of interested in, in uh, or he was directed to be interested in um, a lot <laughs> right. of uh, a lot of these early experiments with uh, with alternative fuels and alternative powers I oh guess. one last sidebar yeah I promise I'll, I'll get out of World War two that's all right so back in 1944 General George Patton right and mm-hmm. the allies are uh, trying to be the first force to reach Berlin right mm-hmm. sure Patton's guys and so his uh, his forces were moving so fast that they couldn't keep up the supply lines. You and I have talked before about how important a supply line is, right? Absolutely. And so Patton said that let's just drain this synthetic fuel, the, the wood-burning fuel that's been produced by the Germans in these vehicles, and then he had some of the U.S. tanks converted 
to run on this fuel. No kidding. That's how the story goes, hmm. man. Okay, so it's uh, it's pirated fuel, I guess, that was operating some of those tanks in the early days. Pirate fuel, yeah, yes. Okay, what, what do you got? Sorry. Well, listen, we we've, we just mentioned fuel, uh, I'm sorry, wood as fuel. I think I want to go back to that in a, in a bit because okay. um, there's some interesting stuff that comes about when we talk about uh, wood-burning cars, and there are still wood-burning cars out there. People are still doing this. Yes. Um, and uh, doing this with a passion. Mm. So uh, we'll talk about that, I promise. But I do want to mention something else with these, uh, these, these I guess, coal-gas-powered cars. Okay. If, you, if you do a Google search for coal-gas-powered car or coal-gas car, yeah. uh, you're going to find some just absurd-looking photos of these cars <laughs> that have... This uh, this enormous uh, canvas bag on top of the car, right? Yeah, like um, a like a, a balloon. It like looks a, like a tarp or something. Balloon. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, a balloon exactly. But I mean, we're talking about on a platform that's you know a metal platform that's welded in place, and it looks kind of like the platform itself looks kind of like what'd you say? What you see on a pontoon boat or on yeah. a, uh, something you dive almost off like of. the deck of a pontoon boat uh, that's elevated above the car. Uh-huh. Um, that's maybe the best way to put it, or or you know like when they do a dive platform on top of one of those boats. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And then on top of that is this enormous bag that can be filled with, uh, you know, you, you pull over the curb and have somebody pump in this uh, this coal gas. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what the car operates on. And, you know, we mentioned earlier how they get to the to get to coal gas. Um, make that town gas, right? Exactly, yeah. And I'm sure that there's something that has to be done in the engine. I know there's uh, a different carburation method that has to be used mm-hmm. in order to burn that type of fuel. But um, But that's what you operate on. It seems incredibly dangerous to me. To be driving around with a bag full of gas on top of the car. Now it's they not can. liquid. It's it's uncompressed vapor, of course, uncompressed. So it's not anything under pressure. But um, man, it just seems like there's a lot of room for problems there. Yeah, can you imagine a fender bender? Um, God forbid somebody is smoking. Yeah. In the area. Yeah, that can happen. And uh, this was also, strangely enough, this was at a time when I imagine quite a few people were smoking still. I would think so, yeah. Probably even doctors in hospitals. Probably people <laughs> in these cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what what's really interesting, you guys, you do check out the pictures here if you have time, because we were bowled over at first when we saw when we saw this. The, the reason that these containers have to be so large, these inflatable bags have to have so much gas is because it's uncompressed, but there there's one advantage that's a little bit silly, which is you can tell how you can easily tell how much more uh, fuel you have because as as you drive, the bag deflates. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's a visual indicator of how much fuel you have left in the vehicle. Now, there's also another little side note here that uh, the Rudy sent along, um, and this is uh, about coal-powered motorcycles. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's exactly the same as these coal gas cars on a smaller scale. Um, they've got these ridiculous photos online of of these coal gas powered motorcycles from the same time, you know, we're talking uh, turn of the century again. You know, this one, this photo that I'm looking at here is from uh, Nottingham in 1916, and the motorcycle is a uh, it's a Campion, which is a local manufacturer who created this thing, and it's got the same gas bag that's suspended above the riders, and it's it's in a different way, a different manner, I guess. It's more uh, of above a, the sidecar. Yeah, it's more of a oh above the sidecar. Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't even notice that with uh, children in it. So the kids are below this giant gas bag. Um, it looks like a tube or a, it looks like almost like a big missile, really, because yeah. they've, they've made it kind of aerodynamic in a way. Uh, but if you search for coal-powered motorcycle, uh, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. Very strange vehicle. Um, I've never seen anything like this at, you know, a concourse event, any kind Ooh. of, any kind of show or anything like that. Uh, but there is a car that, that kind of makes the rounds at, at the concourse events, um, that has, um, well, one of the coal systems that we talked about, right? Oh. Uh, a, it's a it's a Citron. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're talking about the famous uh, coal gas powered Citron. Yeah, huh? it's from 1938, and it's called the Traction Avant, mm-hmm. uh, which means I think that just means front wheel drive. Right. It it was converted by Fap Elgazo Tarbase. Uh, these it made some adaptations that were necessary for it to run on coal. So they removed the stock carburetor intake manifold and inserted a mixing system along with a large uh, container under the right front fender, like a big cylinder filled with coal and ignited. Yeah. And uh, this, this, one's, this one's different, Ben. I mean, I just want to make sure that people no. understand it's not a coal bag 
car. Right. You're, de- you're describing it correctly. I'm just saying it's not one of these cold bag cars. It this doesn't have the gas bag on this top. This one is a completely different animal. Yeah, and it's much, much more aerodynamic looking. It's a, it's a good looking car. Uh, however, this coal system does reduce horsepower by about 20%. Whoa. Yeah, so the top speed goes down to 55 miles per hour. Um, and we're going to talk maybe a little bit about the range. Do you want to talk about range you right know what, now? Let's talk about range on this one because the range on this car was very low, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, only about 40 miles before you had to add more coal. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, you'd think that – I don't know why I had it in my head that these would have a, a longer range than a, than a, a normal gasoline-powered vehicle or a diesel-powered vehicle. Yeah, and that's, that, that makes sense because that's what we think about. We're, we're kind of taught to think that way that um, lower performance in terms of uh, – red line speed or whatever mm-hmm. means that there will be more durability or stamina for the Yeah, vehicle. sure, more stamina, I guess, a greater miles per gallon, I mm-hmm. guess, in, in the case, or equivalent of miles per gallon. I don't know what that would be with coal. Not, not the case here. Uh, per nuggets. I don't know how you would, de- how you would uh, <laughs> determine that. But um, And I also want to say that um, the uh, this this 1938 Citron Traction Avant that we're talking about, I mean, it's a very yeah. integrated design, like you mentioned, but mm-hmm. not all of them had... Uh, this coal power uh, capacity. Very um, good point. Actually, only two thousand of these cars that were uh, that were produced were converted, and only uh, a few of those survived. Yeah, so there's very very few of them out there. Now, I think that uh, man, it looks like the production. If it went from uh, where I'm looking at here, I think the production of this type of vehicle was from thirty four to fifty seven, nineteen fifty seven. Something like 760,000 cars were produced of this type of model. Um, and again, only 2,000 of those were converted. So, uh, these are a needle in a haystack, really. I mean, yeah. that's why, that's why, you know, a well-preserved version of this can, you know, can tour on something like the, uh, like the Concours events. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you find one or if you see one, it's worth a second look because again, it is very rare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you should, uh, if you do see one, take some time out of whatever you're doing to scrutinize this beautiful vehicle because, A, you will probably never see it in person again, Mm -hmm. and, B, the cost for developing this car was uh, so steep that Citron had to uh, declare bankruptcy eventually in the mid-30s, and Michelin, uh, who was Citron's largest creditor, continued to run the place as a research lab. So they put a bunch of money into this, thinking that this is the future, mm-hmm. and uh, man, it just, it just ran them out of business. The oldest surviving Avant 7A is on display right now, I believe, at the Citron Museum in Paris. Hmm. So you can check it out. Interesting. So it's on permanent display. You can go check it out. And I know that there are a couple of other examples that, you know, this integrated design, like we mentioned, where you actually fill these hoppers with coal. That's kind of unusual. I mean, in that, uh, you know, not all cars were like that. There were others that were, that had very unwieldy designs. I mean, some that were just uh, remarkably um, unaerodynamic and, and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. to say the least. I mean, not that that was really the concern because they were just trying to get somewhere under power rather than having to walk or having to use, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the horse and buggy cart or whatever they had to right. use. Yeah. None of these were perfect solutions, um, or perfect replacements for the conventional gasoline, but that didn't stop people from trying. I think we have another example. No, and you know what? These go all through history. I mean, once yeah. we started kind of messing around with this type of stuff, um, you know, from early, early on, I, mean, I think when we started talking about this, it was like 1916, 1910, whatever. I mean, yeah. I don't know when it was started even, but um, this goes much, much longer than you think, and it may even carry on until, you know, present day. But um, there's some surprises here uh, that, that, you know, Rudy had mentioned in his email, and I think we've already kind of hinted at this, that there's a, uh, a coal-powered Cadillac from the late 70s oh, um, yeah. that I, uh, that I want to talk one. about. Yeah, it's really a cool thing. Now, a lot of people know about uh, Chrysler's turbine power, mm-hmm. or turbine cars, rather, tur- turbine program is probably the better way to say it. Um, and that's pretty well known, but not a whole lot of people know about uh, General Motors' turbine program other than you know maybe listening to car stuff where we talked about uh you know the uh the firebird vehicles right yes so they've been doing it since the 1950s um early 1950s as a matter of fact and um man i mean i guess they've been doing it for like what 40 50 years now 60 years at this mm-hmm, point they've been mm-hmm. kind of carrying this on um but there was a there was a powdered coal-fired turbine-powered el dorado i have to say that again Powdered coal-fired, turbine-powered El Dorado that GM developed. And this is, again, related to uh, a time of crisis. Remember, there was the yeah. uh, the, the fuel crisis in mm-hmm. the early 1970s. Now, this is from 1978. Um, so you know, where does that kind of fit in, I guess? Well, it's because – and I, you know what? Give me just a minute. I'll get to it. Why why they use the uh, the late seventies Cadillac for this particular model? But um, I guess going all the way back to the nineteen thirties with uh, the, the Allison division, mm-hmm. um, that's when GM has been working on or had been working on their jet aircraft engines. Um, and by the nineteen fifties, you know, they had kind of figured things out that maybe we could kind of push this towards production. And that's when they kind of started toying around with the Firebird vehicles, the Firebird yeah. one, two, three. Um, well, the Allison company, of course, you know they've been around a long, long time, and uh, I think they've just recently been sold, not recently, but since ni- 1995, they've been sold to um, Rolls-Royce. Ah, so Allison is now part of Rolls-Royce, but at one time, they were part of General Motors, and that would be right during the time when we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And that comes into play in just a moment. Um, now, turbines aren't known necessarily to be extremely fuel efficient that's bad that is means, true right? they have they have some disadvantages well for but, sure yeah they do have a lot of disadvantages but some of the advantages are that they can run on just about anything that burns that is by far the main the primary yeah, advantage exactly and in this case they decided that coal dust might be uh, one of the greatest things for them to use for this particular project and you know before you say you know, that's maybe not the best idea. Why don't you use, you know, kerosene? Why don't you use some other, you know, the product that you can just readily, you know... Readily find, create. It's a lot easier than coal dust, I'll tell you, because coal dust, as we'll find out, is is kind of a silly thing to try to use. It's a tricky medium, Yeah, it's it's something that even now it it doesn't really play out all that well. But um, they point out in this article that um, Rudolf Diesel, when he first started experimenting with his diesel engine... 
uh, was going to use coal dust as a fuel and later gave that up and decided that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fuel oil, uh, that Had to they be used liquid. was, yeah, exactly. They, they determined that it just wasn't feasible for this coal dust. It was just too difficult a product for, for him to use in his early tests. So it just mm-hmm. didn't work out. Now, we had a lot of fuel here in the United States, right? Yeah. I'm we, sorry, not a lot of fuel, a lot of coal. We have a lot States. of coal, exactly. We, we have a lot of coal. So GM kind of got this interest in saying, you know, like, well, maybe we can't get the uh, the gasoline imported all that cheaply because, mm-hmm. you know, again, think about the time, the early 1970s. Yeah. There were lines, you know, blocks long for fuel, and there was rationing going on. So and, let's stop relying on the tricky business of foreign relations, ex- which is ultimately what it is. Exactly, yeah. So they were saying, like, why don't we try to, to become uh, more energy efficient? Does this mm-hmm. sound? Uh, does this sound sounds rel- a little familiar. A little familiar, a little relevant, uh, maybe to right now. So some deja vu. So yeah, they're they're saying we're we're interested in getting these coal burning engines um, up and going. What are we going to put this in? Well, as a as a test mule vehicle, they had very few options because the apparatus to make this whole thing work is pretty large, and mm-hmm. you got to think about what had happened. Now the fuel crisis had made a lot of these manufacturers downsize their vehicles in order to uh, to get better fuel economy and, and be mm-hmm. much more efficient, right? So you didn't have these giant cars. Well, they did have one car left. They had uh, the 1978 Cadillac Eldorado. Uh-huh. Um, now, at the time, they had already downsized the Cadillac. So they had the 79 models available, but they're smaller. So right. they went back to the 1978 model, which was still one of these giant uh, you know, land yacht type mm-hmm. vehicles, huge, mm-hmm. because it was meant... Uh, to have a 500 cubic inch big block engine under the hood, so it had a lot of space under there. Um, had an enormous trunk. I mean, just a, a gigantic trunk. So any kind of machinery or apparatus you needed, sure, uh, lots of space. Other cars, not so much. You would have to have add-on units that just didn't look right, didn't fit with the vehicle, whatever. So from an uh, from an engineering perspective, mm-hmm. it was possible to put this new technology, or excuse me. This newly applied technology mm-hmm. into the Eldorado and still preserve the form factor. Yeah, applied is the key word because this technology is not new. Very old. Yeah, very old, as a matter of fact. But but the method that they used to get it into the engine or to create this was was something new. Now I want to I want to read one little bit here. This is just a very short paragraph, I promise. But um, <laughs> but it but it kind of tells you where they're coming from, and it's and it's in this article. It says, according to retired. GM engineer John Schult, who described the system to the New York Times in 2009, um, he said to keep the coal dust ready for delivery to the engine, it had to be continually agitated. Then a small conveyor belt delivered the coal to the gasifier, um, the first section of GM's automotive turbine engine. So when you stepped on the gas pedal, it actually moved the potentiometer that varied the speed of the coal conveyor belt. Uh, so more fuel resor- resulted in more power. A conveyor so, belt. A conveyor belt, this agitator, there's this coal dust that you've got to somehow wrangle. That's a lot of stuff that and can break. And I guess the coal dust was so fine uh, that they used that if you were to take the coal dust in your fingers and rub it between your fingers, it became oily and greasy. That's how, That's how. Uh, just like a, almost like a silt, if you've ever felt yeah. silt. It's a, it's a very silky feeling. Um, there were a lot of downsides to this. Now, there's a lot of lag due to the fuel delivery system. Uh, there's lots of noise uh, that was created by the turbine, the coal dust agitator, and then, of course, there's this air compressor, which blows the whole mix into the engine. Um, and then, of course, refueling... It was an extremely messy procedure, like I mentioned, with the uh, with the dust and there's there's this greasy coal dust that gets everywhere. It's oh really yeah, yeah. disaster. So, all right. So they they tried this for a few years. You know, there were again a lot of downsides, and then of course, you know, we we kind of kind of figured all everything out. You know, the uh, the crisis kind of end sort of ended um, in a way. It, it lessened, I should say. Sure. And uh, you know, vehicles became more efficient. They downsized everything, and, mm-hmm. and we kind of got into this groove again. You know, where where things were working okay. So they kind of abandoned this project. Well, they shipped the car back to um, back to Allison, where the project was you know kind of moved over to. Yeah. Never heard from again. What? Yeah, the car disappeared. So it's another one of those uh, mystery cars. Now. You know, in the past, we've said that about a few cars, and listeners have said, you know what, here's an article from uh, Hemmings where they found it. Yes. Um, I hope that happens, but you know, this, this uh, coal-dust-powered Cadillac that was shipped to Allison, again, probably the early 1980s, um, it has disappeared, Ben. It's gone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. 
We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. And the last listener writes in, now, Scott, you and I are referring specifically to an excellent email we got that we're going to read on air at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't want to spoil the surprise, but we do owe a listener a big uh, thank you. Before we go on, to wood-burning cars. Yeah, because there's some good stuff on wood-burning cars that we're going to come up to. Yes. Uh, I was thinking, uh, if it's okay, I would I could tell you about a documentary that I watched recently. Sure. Okay. It's, uh, it's about alternative fuel or maybe the original fuel. That fits right in perfectly. Yeah. I'm talking about human-powered vehicles, Scott. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I'm talking about Hell on Wheels, my friend, a documentary about the Tour de France. Okay. Uh, which covers uh, the athletes going through this just this brutal race, mm-hmm. as well as their supporters. Um, I was checking this out on Netflix Instant, which, as you know, you and I get to watch all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, a lot of people who are race fans are are play favorites, right? Everybody sure. does, of course. You might be an F one guy, you might be a NASCAR girl, etc. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that surprised me. I was a little skeptical because I thought, oh, yeah, it's very human. It's very noble. Mm-hmm. Good good for you. You're on a bike. Your top speed is not <laughs> going to hold my attention, yeah, yeah. which makes me sound like a jerk. But to be honest, man, watching this, um, you really get a sense of what what amazing work has to go into these things and how um, just how demanding this, this actually is. So I'm going to go ahead and throw my... I guess audio hat in the ring here and say that if you do like racing, you will probably enjoy Hell on Wheels. Yeah, there's a, a surprising amount of technology that goes into the bikes. Mm. And of course, you know, the rider training and, and, uh, and strength development and all that and what they go through during the, uh, I don't know how many days this thing lasts. Mm. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a very, very difficult race. It's one of these, uh, kind of like a great test. Like a great endurance test for mm-hmm. for man and I guess machine. I guess the bike, right? Sure, the yeah. bike is a machine. The sure. bike is, uh, you know, like any other race. Uh, the bike sort of becomes just like a car would. The bike sort of becomes an extension 
of the rider or the driver yeah. in the best conditions. It can be very exciting to watch. And you can watch it for free on Netflix Instant. Uh, all you have to do, it doesn't matter if you don't have a Netflix subscription, all you have to do is go to netflix.com slash carstuff, sign up for a free 30-day trial where you don't have to watch Hell on Wheels if mm-hmm. you don't want to. No. And you know what? Titles are subject to availability, mm-hmm. but you know that one's there. And uh, and Ben suggested it. What more do you need? Really? <laughs> and, and if that suggestion's not good enough, there are thousands of other titles that you can check out. Uh, we also, uh, every so often, you and I like to recommend some, so check through our past podcast, and you'll see some equally amazing recommendations. Um, I think that we could go right to wood-burning cars. I think that's a good idea. Now, we talked about um, coal gasification and the uh, fisher tropes process. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say I think you're doing a good job. I think that's it. Now, let's talk about, uh, there's, there's something called a wood gas generator. And uh, now, wood gas generator is a is a gasification unit which converts timber or charcoal into wood gas or or syn gas, synthetic gas, mm-hmm. um, which has atmospheric nitrogen, carbon monoxide, hydrogen, and just a little bit of methane and some other gases. Um, and after you you cool it and filter it. Um, that gas can then be used to power an internal combustion engine uh, for you know whatever purpose you need. So you're able to uh, to power that. But the problem is, how do you get fuel out of you know? I mean, we just mentioned it with this, this right. unit, but but how do you get you know? How do you look at something like a, a tree or you know just a yeah. lump of wood, a, a a pile of wood, and say I'm going to have to use that to power my car? Um, that takes some ingenuity. No and uh, and when you look at a coal, or I'm sorry, a wood gas generator, uh, one of these gasification units, um, because there are modern versions of it. Now, there, there are old versions of this, too. I mean, they go back to the same time that we talked about, you know, World War II and, you know, all the uh, the reasons, you know, with the crises mm-hmm. and the, the rationing and everything. Um, but when you look at even a modern version of this, these are enormous units that, that have to be somehow integrated into the automobile. Or and, often just tacked to the back. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's more or less what happens, really. Now, when you, when you look at any kind of, I mean, I, Again, open this up to uh, to the listeners to uh, just do a search for wood gas vehicles, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to find that. I mean, honestly, Ben, looking back to World War II and modern versions of this, yeah, the design hasn't changed all that much. The cars it's, are different. Yeah, but the the more things change, the more. That yeah, I mean, I mean, literally, when I when I tell you this, like the modern versions. Occasionally, some of these gasification units, these uh, these power plants that you have to tow along behind with these things on these trailers, mm-hmm. equal in size to the car. Yes, and here's here's one of the one of the things that really caught me about the ingenuity here. So, the question, right? How you phrased it in such a swell way? How do you look at a pile of wood or a tree and say, "Yeah, I could make a car go <laughs> off that"? How do you do it? I mean, you yeah. would think. Steam power. You would you would initially think like I'm just going to burn that to create heat to create something to do something else. That's not, where we both went. It's not that I'm going to use that biomass to make a fuel to power the the engine that's already in there. So here's the way. Here's one of the descriptions I heard of how this works. Mm-hmm. So you, the wood will be heated until it starts to chemically break down. So when wood burns in you know like regular fire when you're out camping with your buddies, mm-hmm. it decomposes due to the heat and some of the gases that the wood produces are flammable, and so they burn when they're released, and boom, that's the flame we see, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So in the wood burning cars, at least around World War II, uh, the wood's heated to a temperature that's hot enough to decompose the wood, but they don't allow the gas to burn, and so instead it's stored in a chamber, mm-hmm. which is that big cylindrical looking thing okay tacked on there mm-hmm. and then that uh the gas that's stored in that chamber is injected in the cylinders of uh, your regular ic engine makes perfect sense i guess i mean it's a it's a very complex way to get to uh get to where you need to be i guess yeah but uh but honestly like i mean seriously look back at the world war ii photos and then look at modern versions of wood gas powered cars and you're going to see very striking similarities between the two i mean and in many cases, a lot of times they use a trailer to bring these things along, or they build a platform on the back of the car. 
Yeah. Um, it's never out at the front of the car because there's just too much machinery to look over, as a matter of fact. That's, um, that's so it's so always, yeah. always going to be a platform in the back or, you know, it may, it may be, um, in the, the bed of the truck that it's powering or it may be in the bed of a, um, I think I saw an El Camino type vehicle, <laughs> you know, a sport ute, uh, some type of vehicle. Not yeah. a sport ute, a, a utility vehicle. Yeah. Very, it's, it's almost comical to see it, but then you realize, like, I mean, Ben, I was reading about these pretty carefully here, reading this, uh, this article. Um, there's a modern version of this, a, a Volvo that somebody has converted um, to demonstrate the po- just kind of demonstrate the possibility of the technology. It's not so much that you know this is their uh, their only vehicle or it's like you know, a proof of concept. Yeah, I guess so. Just to kind of show that you know I can do this. Okay. Um, the the this particular Volvo that I'm going to mention, um, it has a top speed, a maximum speed of 75 miles per hour. Um, cruising, you know, cruising speed would be about 68. Um, the fuel tank. Um, can hold about 66 pounds of wood, which is good for a range of, get this, 62 miles. Not bad at all. That's not bad. Now, range, this is, this is important, and, uh, yeah. and I think we need to dive into this maybe. Yeah, let's um, dive into this. Okay. 62 miles. So that's, you're carrying 66 pounds of wood, you get 62 miles out of that. Mm-hmm. That's not that far off from current modern electric car ranges, is it? It is not, and that is that is a point that we talked about before. Um, there are a couple of points we made here. Um, it is surprisingly close because, again, I, I think I don't know about you, but I really did have this assumption in my head that lower MPH equals higher MPG, mm-hmm, and that's sure. not always the case, especially not when we're talking about these different biomass fuels. Yeah, and so I, I think. We were both kind of surprised to find that range was such a so similar yeah, to an I was, electric car. I was surprised they got so much. Now, if you go back to World War II days, you know the range of these cars maybe thirty miles. Sure, much maybe lower. half that. Now, yeah. a lot of efficiencies have been uh, been made in this, but um, I, I guess you know when you look at the units that that's especially this Volvo that I'm looking at, it's got mm-hmm. it almost looks like a brewery, a small brewery that's yeah. attached to the back. You know the uh, yeah. the the big uh, tanks. I don't even know what you call them, but uh, the fermentation tanks. Mm-hmm. It's something like that. I mean, it's it's very big, very uh, very um, unwieldy is a good word. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's probably the best way to say it. But um, I. You know, it's funny. I struggle with this in that, you know, they, they compare them to modern electric cars as far as range go. Now, you do have to refuel by throwing in more wood. So yes. you have to carry some wood. Let's say it's in your trunk, in your back seat, whatever. Um, and that's just – if he, I think this is just if he fills the hopper with 66 pounds of wood because it doesn't take a whole lot of wood to make 66 pounds if you've ever lifted wood, um, you, know, yeah. wood you know, out in the backyard or whatever, splitting wood, right. whatever. Um, but I, I want to mention here that it says if you – if you do load the back seat of this car with wood, so you're carrying um, a lot more wood, you know, than, mm-hmm. than you would, uh, you can extend that range to about 250 miles. Now, before someone says that it's a little crazy, we well, got to remember that a lot of times in a modern electric car, you'll sacrifice uh, the back seat space anyways for for, batteries. for a larger battery. Right. And the examples that he gives are the Tesla Roadster and the electric Mini Cooper, where um, you know both of those vehicles only have two seats anyways. And that's because there's such a... Well, of course, the Tesla Roadster is based on the Lotus design. Yeah. Uh, but the Mini, you're, the Mini Cooper, you're actually sacrificing the back seat space for a larger battery in order to get the extended distance. And uh, and that's very comparable, again, to uh, to what you would get in... Um, a modern electric car. Now, I mean, this goes up even higher. I mean, the more wood you carry. So let's say that, you know, you've got a, well, in this example, there's a guy that can carry 400 pounds of wood in the back of a, of a 1989 Ford pickup truck. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is a, an old pickup truck, a 1989. Uh, um, the range on that vehicle, Ben, now he has to add fuel occasion, add wood to the, uh, to the mix there, but, uh, the range of the car before he runs out of his 400 pounds of wood is 600 miles. So that's not bad. That's uh, again, that's about the the distance you would get in a very efficient modern car. Yeah, and you could just keep going too. All you need is an axe. Mm-hmm. You don't need a gas station. Yeah, you just yeah. need an axe. Yeah, I think I saw something about a guy that did a uh, cross country tour uh, with just an axe in his car, mm-hmm. and he would you know pull off to the side of the road and ask local farmers if he could cut down you know some uh, some dead wood on their property and use that as fuel, just to kind of prove that he could make it across. Yeah. Uh, you know, with a, with nothing more than again an X. I like that we're going modern. Let's, you know what? Let's say we we uh, end out here on some modern things, right? Sure. Okay. So we've got one thing that I thought would surprise you, but it turned out you already know. Before we get to it, <laughs> I want to say something that I hope is not controversial because it is true. 
it's interesting, your point about electric car performance and these biomass-burning car performances, um, or let's call it synthetic fuel or whatever. Um, because let's face it, the uh, an electric or a hybrid car derives its power partially or completely from electricity. And this electricity is transported, stored, distributed uh, via the normal uh, power grid system of, you know, your local city or your local town, right? Sure. And in the United States, that power is overwhelmingly likely to ultimately come from coal. Yeah, but not 100%. Not 100 Okay, yeah. All right, I see. Are you I, about to say what I think you're about I, to say? I think I have to because yeah. I know that someone will write in and say, uh, wait a minute, I've got an electric-powered car and, uh, you know, it's it's powered by clean energy. It's, it's uh you know, uh, radioactive material that creates my electricity. That, sure. uh, that, that so the Hoover Dam powers exactly. My, so there's yeah. hydroelectric power. There, but, sure. but you, you said it. You said it correctly. Slim power. Overwhelmingly, most of the plants here in the United States still are coal-operated plants. So when you hear that, you'll hear this a lot. And mm. I'm not going to argue for or against this. It's just that a lot of people say, yeah, that electric car is still coal-powered, and that you know coal is powering the the power plant that creates electricity for your electric car. And I think it's an interesting point to think about when we say this stuff. Now, again, of course, the energy mix that the United States as a whole is using for domestic power is changing. We're seeing the emergence of uh, wind, solar. I mean, the Hoover Dam alone is just this amazing thing. So it's quite possible then that if you own an electric car, depending on where you're deriving this electricity from, you could be driving what's ultimately a water-powered car. Yeah, you know? I guess it's all in how you look at it. It's right? all in how you look at it. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only modern example we have. Uh, there was recently in the news uh, a resurgence of a coal-powered car, right? That's right. Yeah, there's a, there's a very modern version of this. Now, we're talking uh, right up until just a couple months ago. Yeah, that- March 2013. Exactly. Yeah, now there's a, uh, um, uh, who is this? A, uh, someone from the Uni- Ohio State University. Um, I think it was a chemical engineer and director of OSU's Clean Coal Research Laboratory uh, who has developed this way to uh, power a car with coal again, Ben. I mean, these mm-hmm. coal these coal pellets, or I'm sorry, it's just coal and iron oxide pellets. Right, and this is uh, the chemical engineer, I'm going to butcher his name, Long Shifan, and uh, he said that the this method uses these iron oxide pellets as an oxygen source. So it can contain this reaction in a small chamber. Mm-hmm. Now, we mentioned uh, these clean coal pellets, uh, which are used to really, I mean, what, what this does is it creates a, uh, or generates electricity for an electric car. Now, it does it all on board. That's the difference. Um, it, it's completely generated on board. It's not, it, there's no need to plug it in. Um, you know, there's no, uh, you know, external grid work that's necessary. I right. mean, you, you would be able to go somewhere, um, this is the plan, to be able to, to you know, pull up to a, uh, a filling station, I guess you'd call it, I, I suppose. I don't know what they would call it if, yeah. you're, if you're doing this, but um, a filling station, we'll call it, uh, where these clean coal pellets would be introduced into the on, on-car storage tank, mm-hmm. and then the clean coal would be then be used to uh, generate electricity through an onboard genera- generator, which would charge up something they call an ultra-capacitor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ultra capacitors would be used for, um, or the capacitors would be used for like bursts of acceleration or speed, like hill climbing. Now, most of the time, this would be generating electricity that would just power a generator that would assist the engine. Exactly. That would well, that would be the engine really. I mean, mm-hmm. it would be the motor. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's an all electric car. That's um, right. Yeah. And, and the the one greatest benefit of this whole thing, you want to tell us what that would be? I want you to do it. I was all thinking. right. Well, I mean. The, the greatest thing about this, I guess, is that there's really no waste products. I mean, no, none that uh, that enter the atmosphere. Yeah, there's uh, water and solid coal ash mm-hmm. are the primary waste products. So listen carefully, folks. No greenhouse gases if this thing works. Yeah, because when you burn coal, you get carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. And uh, and the thing about this is that the byproduct is water and the solid coal ash, which can then be disposed of you know, properly. It's not... You know, expelled out into the atmosphere. This is something that's contained and uh, and able to be handled in a, in a safe and efficient manner. And I think that even the uh, the iron oxide pellets can be reused, is right? That yeah, they can, that's they can be recycled. So um, the whole process. I mean, the the entire thing is, is supposed to rival um, battery powered hybrids, and it's supposed to be um, 
kind of coming to a car near you soon, but the idea is that they have to miniaturize the uh, the yeah. entire operation. Now, that's the, the problem. That's what I was going to say, too, man. Yeah. I don't think this is ready to compete with hybrid or electric yeah. cars. And when, yeah, and when I, when I say, you know, coming to a car to you, near you soon, I mean... You know how that works, Ben. What, it's, it's, always, like, it's always five years, right? Uh, it seems like five or ten, yeah. Five there was ten like, years. well, in about ten years, we're going to have this ready. And, uh, you know, there's no mention here in this article, um, you know, about the timeline of this whole thing. But, right. um, man, I mean, again, it's coming down to ingenuity, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's somebody who's still working on clean coal and, uh, and trying to make that work. And I, I don't know, it seems like a, a good alternative. I mean, if they're, if they're going to go the way of, uh, you know, electric cars and, you know, Plug-in sure. hybrids and yep. all this. Uh, why not have something that can generate its own electricity on board cleanly, mm-hmm. rather than having to plug into a grid which is then powered by coal somewhere else? Uh, because that, you know, those, those electric cars aren't as clean as people think a lot of times. Often, and again, I think you made a very fair point. It depends on uh, the source of that electricity, yeah, and and I won't let any mention of the Tesla Roadster pass on air without saying that I'm in love with that car. You're talking about the Model S. Yes. Sir. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Tesla S model. That's yeah. a, That gets high, high marks. And by the way, that's a standout. I've got a uh, a chart here that I didn't get to when you're talking about ranges yeah. of the uh, the wood gas cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a whole chart here with, uh, with ranges of current model electric cars. And uh, the Model S is just far and above everybody else on this on this thing, uh, as far as all electric uh, goes. It, it's got something like 265, where the others, the ranges are any, anywhere between you know, like 13 to uh, you know 60 is mm-hmm. is normal. Um, so the, the Model S is really a standout. It's, it's an exception. It, it is, and again, you know this this coal powered. Uh, electricity generation thing it's so dependent on your geography where exactly where you are so you know we understand that completely some people have got really really clean power others have sure. you know water power hydropower and others are still using this uh this coal generated electricity and and that's for the most part most of us here in the united states right right statistically now there's one last fact before we get out of here that i thought you would enjoy scott what's that you know, we talked about gas bag buses, right? Gas bag vehicles. Yeah. Well, gas bag buses were still being used in China as recently as the 1990s. Oh, come on. As recently as the 1990s, my friend. Really? In uh, Chong- Chongqing, um, I'm probably mispronouncing that, uh, they were developed during peacetime as part of public transit. So uh, they're in, um, they were also in... Uh, Shandong in 1965, but yes, you know, the ben, last word. I would hope these had some type of cage built around them that was uh, impervious. I mean, that you know, it just seems like a, uh, a down power line, you know, that uh, or that they brush against or something right. could cause a, uh, a Hindenburg-esque uh, accident to happen right there in, in the streets. You know, I mean, it just seems like th- there's a lot of potential danger with these things. Yeah, I was it reminded me of airships too, Scott, because it's 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 a huge design flaw that the bulk of a vehicle would be an exposed, flammable bag. Yeah, sure. A big yeah. Zeppelin on top of your car. Yeah, but again, that goes back to necessity. You invent what you can. True. And refine the rest. And we are going to uh, head out. We hope that everybody enjoyed this episode. I'd like to thank Rudy for the excellent recommendation. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the meantime, we'd love to hear your stories about alternative fuels. Uh, maybe somebody owns a wood-burning car, Scott. What do you think? Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. it's... Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. They probably maybe. they made it if they own it. Yeah. So uh, let us know. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. We are also on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear from you at our email address, which is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 